today, to finish up our Health is Wealth series, Christine and I have a dear friend, a couple of dear friends actually, but only one of them is here today, to come and bring a message to you. Her name is Carrie Latticeur, and she is a powerhouse in the kingdom of God. Uh, Carrie and I and her husband, Mark, were on staff together at the Crossing Church over in Tampa. They got called up to Willow Creek Church in Chicago, where Carrie started as a volunteer hanging out in student ministry and rose all the way up into executive leadership, the highest levels of leadership at Willow Creek Church. If you're familiar with that church, a vast impact that church has had across the entire globe, and Carrie was a part of that for, I don't know, like 10 years, something like that. She gave me a thumbs up. Uh, she's also been a part of Exponential, if you've heard of this movement. It meets annually here in Orlando. She started a new thing called New Ground. Uh, I, I'm messing it up, Carrie. you have to clean it up for me. Uh, but she, she travels the nation helping church plants. Uh, and she loves church plants and uh, loves seeing the kingdom of God move. She's currently the pastor at Community Christian Church, which actually wrote, uh, had a hand in writing the second song that we sang called Make Room, and we had no idea until this morning. Like, we had, we're like, we're singing the song Make Room. She's like, oh, our church, we're, oh, like, what? How'd that happen? Praise God. So Carrie, her husband, Mark, been married 15 years. I got one son down here named Liam. Hello, Liam. And a daughter named Olivia. She's 13. So pray for the Latticers. You know how that goes. And uh, I just hope that you will open your hearts to this incredible word from this incredible woman. Would you please give a big Illuminate Church welcome to Carrie Latticer. Thank you. Oh, I'll take a hug. Thank you. Good morning, Illuminate Church. It is such a gift to be with you all, and it feels sort of like coming to be with family. I know I haven't had the privilege of meeting all of you, but Tim and Christine certainly feel like family to us. Uh, I'm also a Florida native, so this very much feels like coming home uh, to be here, to be in Florida. I was so excited to bring my son with me, and my mom is over here, and we're just really thrilled to be a part of this church family and to be able to join you in this expression of the body this morning. Uh, Tim mentioned, Pastor Tim mentioned that back home, I pastor a church in the Chicagoland area, and just a couple weeks into leading this church, I have been there for about two and a half years, but a couple weeks in, uh, this guy came up to me at church and he was like, hey, I, I was just telling my friends that I had a meeting with the pastor, but I didn't know how to say your name, so I told them I was going to meet with Pastor Ludacris, and that has stuck as sort of my name there. If you don't know who Ludacris is, Ludacris is a rapper. So I'm not going to rap for you this morning. I did rap my speech uh, to run for student body president in the fifth grade. So like stood on the stage of a school much like this and did that. Uh, but yes, Pastor Ludacris is what they affectionately call me there. Uh, I would love if you would, would you pray with me? And then we'll dive into God's word together this morning. God, we are so grateful to be in your presence today. God, thanks for your faithfulness here to this church body, to this family. Thanks for what you're doing here, and thanks for what a privilege it is that we have the opportunity to open up your word, to be shaped by it, to be encouraged by it, to be called forward by your spirit. And so, God, I ask that you would work this morning, uh, that we would hear from you, and that you would make us more like Jesus. God, we love you, and we thank you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, I love the series that you guys are doing, Health is Wealth, right? Like this idea 
that there is so much richness that comes from how we choose to live, from our rhythms, from how we pursue health. And I think this is pivotal uh, even to accomplish this awesome mission that you have of helping people find abundant life in Jesus. And I'm hoping that we can look at the life of Jesus this morning and, and look at maybe what Jesus not just says, but what Jesus models for us when it comes to health and more specifically when it comes to rest. So we're going to look at a story uh, of Jesus found in Matthew 8. And just before this story, you know, Jesus is starting to do the work that he came here to do. Uh, his disciples and this crowd are, are starting to follow him around and they're seeing him do some really remarkable things, right? They're seeing people be delivered from things that had plagued them their entire lives. They're seeing people be healed. And actually right before this text in Matthew 8, 23 through 27 is where we're gonna start. Some of the disciples that had been following him are like, hey, this is really amazing stuff that you're doing. We've got some other stuff we've gotta go do. And then we're gonna come back and follow you. And Jesus says to them, I want you to pursue life and follow me. I want you to pursue life and follow me. And so he's coming off the heels of a pretty intense ministry season, and he gets into a boat, and we'll pick up in Matthew 8, 23 through 27. He says, then it got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. So some of the disciples followed him, right? The other ones had just told him about the obstacles that they had, the things they needed to go focus on, the work that they had to get back to, the family needs that they had to get back to. But some of the disciples, they got into the boat with him. Suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Any weather checkers here in the room? How many of you are weather checkers? You like know what's gonna happen? Okay, I know this time in Florida it rains every day, right? You just need to know like what time during the day that it rains. I'm not a big weather checker and back at spring break we were getting ready to travel and my husband is like, Carrie, have you seen the weather while we're on vacation? And I was like, Mark, I don't check the weather in normal life. Why on earth would I check the weather while we're gonna be on vacation? I don't like to be attentive to things that I just can't control. But surely Jesus knew here what they were getting into, right? This particular place that they get into in the boat is sort of right between a, a desert, which you know has like very hot weather over in the desert, and the Mediterranean Sea, where this cool breeze would often come off the sea. And so right where they were, these two sort of weather patterns would meet often, and it was known for storms right here in this particular area. And I think we could say storm, and you could think like a rain, or even some of the storms we get in Florida where it rains while the sun is still out. But this particular type of storm was like a tsunami. Okay, picture like waves crashing in over the side of the boat, like a tsunami is happening all around them. And they look over, and Jesus is just laying here asleep. The artwork that depicts this particular story is quite funny to see a boat sort of rocking around and, and huge waves coming in over the edge and then Jesus is just laying on the floor of the boat, sleeping. And the disciples, you know, many of them are fishermen. So you would think if anyone was sort of equipped to know what to do to be able to navigate a storm, I would like to think that the disciples would have some experience here, right? And they, the disciples, they run over and they wake Jesus saying, Lord, save us, we are going to drown. 
Some uh, versions of the Bible say we are going to perish. So there's some serious fear happening, even for the fishermen happening in this story. They run to Jesus and say, save us, we are going to perish. And Jesus replies to them, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed, and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Isn't that an interesting question here about Jesus? What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This question here, uh, you know, we have the, the benefit of hindsight, which is always 2020, right? But the disciples here are wondering, who is this man? They've seen miracles performed, they've seen healings happen, and now the wind and the waves obey him. They're thinking, who is this man? Because up until this point, only God is the one who can control the wind and the waves. Can you imagine how disruptive this might have been for them to experience this man who has that sort of authority and that sort of power? This question is a question about the identity of Jesus. It's a question about his divinity and his humanity. They're wondering, who is this man? And I wonder, do you, do you know what would have been in their minds at this time? There's a, a story, sort of a formational story, like a family of origin story that the disciples would have known well as, as Jewish men who were following Jesus. It would have brought up this story for them. And I wonder, do you have family of origin stories? like formational stories. Uh, I will tell you a really silly one in my family. So uh, I grew up with three sisters, actually here in Florida, like I mentioned, over in Brandon. And my grandparents lived in Georgia. My grandparents grew an enormous garden in their backyard. And every year in the summertime, my sisters and I, as kids growing up, we would go and we would help them harvest their garden. Okay, now as an adult, I realize how smart this actually was. But they would have us come into town and they would do competitions, like a penny for every potato that you dig out of the garden and maybe a quarter for whoever found the biggest potato. Okay, they had all these competitions for us as kids to go do the work of harvesting their garden and we would like shuck uh, green beans and we would prepare corn and they would put up these vegetables. I still don't know what put up vegetables means or where exactly they go, but that's the term is that they're going to go put up vegetables. And so every year in the summer, uh, one of the things that they would do is prepare corn. So you, you uh, shuck the corn, you take off that outer layer and then you silk the corn. And then at Thanksgiving every year we would go and we would have creamed corn. This is like a southern delicacy, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? And to make creamed corn, you cut the kernels all down the middle, and then you cut them halfway off the cob, and then you turn the knife around, and you scrape the second half of it out, and you add tons of butter and cream and salt and pepper, and it's a delightful Thanksgiving side. Now, the family of origin story is that one year, as we gathered for family, somebody put someone's significant other in charge of making the corn, and they forgot to stir the corn. 
and it burned, okay? And I want you to know I was a child when this happened, but my kids still know at Thanksgiving about the time that they burnt the corn. Like, my kids have heard the story. It's been a formational story for them, and every year at Thanksgiving, it's like, who is taking care of the corn? Because this is a really big deal. Do not burn the corn, okay? All of us have these sort of stories. Uh, sometimes they're legends, the family of origin story, these formational stories. And the disciples in this moment, they would have been thinking about this formational story of the Israelites. The Israelites in the Old Testament were uh, this nation, this community of people that God had chosen to be his people. And he had enormous plans for them. God's intentions for them is that they would be a blessing to the entire world. Like they would be a people set apart through whom God would become known as good. That he would bless and reach and redeem and restore the whole world through this nation of people. He wanted them to make his ways known. And, and what happened is over and over again, the Israelites were pretty unfaithful to God. And at one point in time, they are uh, enslaved by uh, a king in, in Babylon. They're actually taken into slavery. They kind of, they lose their identity as a people. And, and Moses is raised up, maybe you've heard this story, to go and to set them free, right? And, and he goes before this king and says, I want you to release my people. God is telling you to release his people. And this guy's like, I don't really care who your God is or, or what he has to say. He's making lots of money and building an empire off of these people. And so these plagues begin to come over his empire. And eventually it gets so bad that he's like, I don't care what I have to do. Get these people out of here. I do not want to experience these plagues anymore. And so they, they leave. And then very soon after they leave, they're headed towards freedom. They've been released from slavery. He immediately is like, wait, what have I done? I, I need to go get those people back. And he sends armies after them. And so as these people are fleeing, the Israelite people are fleeing, they come up to the Red Sea, Right? And there's this moment that they are crying out to God. Save us, deliver us, we're going to die. There's water in front of us. There's an army coming behind us. What are we even going to do? And then Moses parts the Red Sea and they walk through on dry land, right? Exodus 14, 14 through 16 says, the Lord will fight for you, you need only be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Isn't this interesting how similar this story is to what's happening with water, with Jesus in the boat, with the disciples? See, the disciples would have had this story of God's power come to mind. Psalm 106 verse 9 says, God is the one who delivered us and rebuked the sea. So they knew God by his power, his ability to rebuke the sea, to have power and authority over the wind and waves. And so they would have been asking this question about Jesus, who is this man? There's something quite different about him. Only God is, can control the wind and the waves. All throughout the text, actually, uh, rough water is sort of a, a symbol, like a sign of troubled times. 
And if you have that in mind, as you begin to read stories, even throughout the Old Testament or throughout the Psalms, you'll realize, yeah, water, it's sort of a symbol for troubled times, for difficult times. And Jesus teaches us something about what to do in troubled times. I want to give you one example. Psalm 69, verse 1 uh, says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs on my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me. I am forced to restore what I did not steal. What's happening here as the psalmist is crying out, talking about being up to his neck in troubled waters, talking about difficulty? This is somebody who is struggling here, right? This is somebody who it sounds like is quite hated here, right? Uh, He's being dishonored. He's in a pretty rough season. I jokingly said it sort of sounds like maybe a pastor in the midst of COVID times, right? Like having to make decisions or a CEO or a teacher or a parent, right? Like everyone was upset at a different time. Everyone is upset with the writer here. He goes on in 69, uh, Psalm 69, 13 through 15. But I pray to you, Lord, in the time of your favor, in your great love, O God, answer me with sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me. Deliver me from the deep waters. Do not let the floodwaters engulf me or the depths swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Again, this is desperation, and the water here is symbolizing a time of struggle. And I don't know how you have experienced the last two years, the the storm of the last two years, but together, collectively, we have faced some pretty struggling, struggle-filled, uh, pretty challenging times in the last two years, right? Do you remember how unsure this healthcare crisis started, this global pandemic that has taken countless lives, the, the healthcare disparity that was revealed through this, the racial tensions that we have come eyeball to eyeball with on the news, the, the political unrest that we've seen, the, the healthcare crisis and inequity, the homelessness situation right now, the, the reality that inflation just continues to rise and who knows where it is going. How have you experienced the last two years? If I'm honest with you, there have times that I have been crying out just like the disciples were saying, where are you, Lord? God, where are you in the midst of this challenging time? Where are you? Don't you see what is happening? God, are you sleeping on us? Where even are you in the midst of this time? I don't actually think that many of the challenges that we faced in the last two years are are new. I think COVID just revealed what was already happening under the surface to us, right? And I think COVID actually revealed to us as well that what we reach for in struggling times, what we reach for in the midst of the challenge is actually what we truly worship, right? 
I know that that was true of me. What I reach for in the midst of the struggle, that's what I put my trust in. That is what I worship. And here, the disciples, they reach for Jesus, right? God, we are in the storm. We are about to die. We are about to perish. Save us. They call out for Jesus. And what they see him do is quite remarkable, isn't it? It's this question of his identity. Who is this man? Both the divinity and the humanity of who Jesus is. What I love is that Jesus shows us what abundant life looks like. In the midst of the storm, Jesus is resting. Jesus took a nap in the boat. Jesus gives us an example of what abundant life that trusts in and honors and worships Jesus could look like, right? I love how the psalmist talks about this in Psalm 89, 5 through 9. It says, the heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings in the council of the holy ones? God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you? Lord God Almighty, you, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. You rule over the raging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. See, this idea of who Jesus was would have been quite disruptive because this is a group of people who followed the one true God, and now they're experiencing this God here in the flesh, both his divinity and his humanity. They are experiencing who God is through the life of Jesus. And Jesus here, just before they get into the boat, tells them to pursue life, and then he takes a nap. Maybe that's an invitation for us, right? Jesus is calling us to pursue life, to pursue abundant life, and then he takes a nap. I wonder if in this particular moment, as the rest of the world is navigating the exact same storm that we are, the exact same struggle that we are, I wonder if this is what it looks like to live set apart, to be people who are rested, who bring a non-anxious presence into this world, to be a people who embody the ways of Jesus such that people could experience our good and loving God through us. Wasn't that his intention with the Israelites? Isn't that God's intention that we would embody his ways in his value system? And so I wanna propose to you this morning that perhaps rest is resistance to the ways of this world. Maybe rest is how we embody the ways of Jesus and how we show people in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the struggle, that what we reach for is faith in Jesus Christ. That what we worship and what we put our trust in is that the one who controls in the winds and the waves, that he's got it. And that even in the midst of the storm, we can rest. Rest is our birthright. It is resistance to the ways of this world, but I, I would propose, because this is true of me and of most people that I know, that we have some resistance to rest, right? 
We have some resistance to rest. It might feel kind of soft and weak to you. Uh, uh, The church that Pastor Tim and I worked at years ago uh, took work very seriously, and rest was just not a thing that we really talked about because it was sort of like what we have to do in front of us is so important, we don't have time to rest. Somebody we worked with used to say, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Now I think about that and I go, how much is that putting dependence on us and how much is that putting dependence on Jesus, right? Rest is resistance, but we have to get in touch with our own resistance to rest. I grew up uh, in a home that faced some struggles. We had some real challenges growing up. I left home early. I got emancipated when I was 16. I've been on my own since then. And for years, I I worked full-time and I went to school full-time. And I'm not saying this to impress you. I'm saying this because this was ignorant. I worked my tail off. And what I've discovered in the last few years is I've tried to explore what rest looks like, what flourishing life looks like, what abundance in my life should look like. I realized that overworking was a trauma response in me. Overworking was sort of my adaptive pattern to not have to deal with the pain in front of me in life because if I was just working really hard, I was really busy and I didn't have to be attentive to this other stuff, right? But what I want you to hear is that if we're not attentive to this other stuff, eventually it catches up with us to the point that it requires our attention. What is it that it prohibits you from rest? Maybe you grew up in a family where you heard messages, something like, you know, only look out for number one. Like, no one else is going to look out for you. Only look out for number one. Or, or maybe you grew up in a home where you had to earn or prove your value. And so the idea of rest, it just flies in the face of those family of origin stories for you. Amen. What is your resistance to rest? What is it in you that doesn't want to enter into rest? Rest is our resistance to the ways of this world, and there's reassurance in there that we are so deeply loved even in the storm. But rest is how we embody that reassurance. I don't know that we actually really believe what Jesus says about our belovedness if we're not willing to experience it through rest. Rest is freedom for us. It's freedom to live into who Jesus actually says we are. Rest is also how we usher in God's kingdom here on earth. Rest is how we embody the ways of his kingdom. Jesus' work, I would imagine, would have felt like it was never going to run out, right? He's healing people. He's restoring things that were lost. He's mending what is broken. I, I like to think it would be really hard if you were Jesus to take a nap in the boat, right? Because there's so much to do. There was so much for him to do to establish God's kingdom here on earth. Over and over again, Jesus talks about that's what he came to do, to bring the kingdom of heaven, to bring the kingdom of God. That, that work had no end. How on earth could he justify resting, right? Pete Scazzaro uh, is an author and a pastor in New York City, and he's written some books about this, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And he says, we are to work from rest, not work for rest. We are to be people that show up in this world rested, working from a place of rest, not working for rest, not working to try to earn or prove it or or I'll rest next week, right? We are supposed to work from rest. 
And I think the question then can be, what is rest, right? I think uh, there's some ways that this gets talked about in the world, like self-care or self-love, or, or I have a, a pastor friend that I've coached for a couple years, and he called me during the pandemic. His name's Jason, and he said, Carrie, I don't know what to do. I am like bone dry, exhausted. And I was like, Jason, what are you and Marie doing on your days off? Like, how are you spending your time and days off? He's like, well, usually we just, we watch something on, we find something on Netflix that we haven't seen and then we just put it on and we like watch it all day long. You know, like that was in their minds that what rest actually was. And I was like, okay, how restorative is that for you? I think we can have a tendency in the midst of the storm to want to just like turn our brains off, right? But I don't think that that's actually rest. I want to give you an acronym for how I talk about rest that hopefully will stick with you and, and will be an invitation for you to explore rest. And, and R in rest stands for replenish. And if you're going into a day of rest, I know you guys talked about Sabbath on the first week of this series. As you head into a day of rest, what would it look like to ask yourself that question? What would replenish me? How is my energy right now, physically, emotionally, relationally? What would be replenishing to me? What needs to be nourished in me? What would be replenishing? Because I have found in my own life that this changes, right? Uh, Pastor Tim mentioned that I have two kids, and it's sort of like when you have kids and you finally figure out when they're newborns, like what they need and what cry is the hungry cry and what toy they like and, you know, all those things. And then as soon as you figure it out, it changes, right? (laughs) That's kind of how rest is for us. As soon as you figure it out, things in your life change, demands at work change, needs from your relationships change, and what you need to rest changes. And so R stands for replenish. What do you need to replenish yourself in rest? And then E stands for energize. Right? What are the things in my life that I need to energize? What are the things that are draining my energy? And what are the things that will add to my energy? What would energize me? Maybe that's a going on a really long bike ride on your day off. Maybe it's taking time to wake up early when it's not blazing hot outside and take in creation. Maybe it's evaluating how you eat or how much sleep you're getting. E stands for energize. What would energize me physically? emotionally, spiritually, this is a part of rest, is being attentive to your energy. And then S, S stands for satisfy. And I think that God actually gives us desires and longings in our hearts. And I think when we find ourselves sort of caught up and trapped or entangled in patterns of sin, it's because those desires get sort of disordered. And so I wonder, what does it look like in your rest to ask, what, what do I need to satisfy me? Do I need to hold hands with my spouse for a little bit and just feel connected? Do I need to ask my spouse to take me on a date because I just really miss relationally catching up with them? Are there friends that I want to spend time with? S is what would satisfy me? And then T stands for trust. And this is a question of what do you need to trust God with? What do you need to turn back over to him? Here's how I often visit this question. What is it that's keeping me up at night? When I lay in bed and I'm trying to fall asleep and I find myself ruminating right over that hard conversation I had with somebody at work or ruminating over this issue that I know my kid is facing, those are the things that really I have very little control over. And for me to truly rest, I have to trust God with those things. 
What are the things that are preventing you from experiencing rest? Where do you need to be replenished? Where do you need to energize? What do you need to satisfy? And where do you need to trust? This is what it looks like to experience rest like Jesus did in our lives. And if you hear nothing else today, I just want to encourage you that you can put your trust in the one who controls the wind and the waves. You can put your trust in the one who came to redeem and restore friends. You have nothing to earn because Jesus already took care of it for you. You have nothing to lose because there is nothing you can do to lose God's love. There's nothing you could do when you leave here today to make him love you any less. And friends, Christians struggle with this. You have nothing to earn. You have nothing to lose. You have nothing to gain. There's nothing you could do when you leave here to make God love you any less, and there's nothing you could do when you leave here to make God love you any more. You have nothing to earn, nothing to lose, nothing to gain, and you have nothing to prove. I think many of us struggle with this idea. You have nothing to prove. Jesus sees you, and he loves you, and when he made you, he called you good. You already are his beloved. Rest is how we align ourselves under the rule and reign of Christ, right? It's how we get in the game doing the work that Jesus came to do of establishing God's kingdom. Rest is how we experience the inbreaking of God's kingdom here on earth. That plan, that intention that God had for the Israelite people, for the Hebrew people to, through whom, redeem and restore the whole world. This is the craziest thing on the face of the planet to me, but that same dream that God had for those people is the dream that he has for us. The church is his strategy for accomplishing his mission in the world. We are the people through whom he wants to be made known. He wants to be made famous through us. Rest is how we realign ourselves in the kingdom of God. It's how we live under his rule and his reign. And so my challenge for you this week is to find time to rest, to visit those questions. What do you need to replenish in your life? What do you need to energize in your life? What do you need to satisfy in your life? And what do you need to turn back over to God to trust him with? May we be a people who are marked by rest. May people who don't yet know God encounter us and see him in us because of how rested we are, because of how we love, because of how abundant our lives are in Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, we are so grateful for the example you have given us in Jesus Christ. Who is this man? His divinity, that he is holy and fully you, but that he chose to lay that down, the rights and privileges of being God, to come to earth, to put on human skin, and to show us what it looks like to live. 
God, thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you for the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for the power that you give us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And God, I pray that you would show us this week what it looks like to find abundant life in Jesus, that you would show us what it looks like to be a people of rest. And God, as we seek that out, as we pursue what it looks like to rest, I pray that we would experience your presence in brand new ways right there with us, that your presence would meet us and that we would experience you and that because of our encounters with you, we would look like you in this world. God, we love you and we thank you. It is in Jesus' precious and powerful name we pray.